Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. So let's get into the Word of God today. Who's hungry for the Word of God? Come on, half of you. The rest of you not hungry for the Word of God? Come on, who's hungry for the Word of God today? I'm going to go... out of the text of Mark chapter 5, and um, Ben actually re- read out of this text today. We did not cross notes at all, and we're not trying to copy each other, but I think God is trying to say something out of this text today. We're going to read quite a bit of Bible today. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah we're not afraid of the Bible here at Bright Church. We're going to read quite a bit of Bible. Mark 5 verse 21 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Say, she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Say, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's give Jesus a big shout of praise for that incredible text. So much happening here. But today I want to speak to you on the thought, what do you believe about him? What do you believe about Him? I love the fact that if you believe in Jesus today and you've called upon His name, you believe that He's your personal Lord and Savior, that he, you, you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins and that you consider Him your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls us people believers. How many of you are so grateful that you're a believer? If you're a believer here today, you can be 100% assured of your eternal salvation. I would suggest to you though that there is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing rightly about Him. Believing in Jesus has guaranteed you of life eternal. We know that. Your salvation is assured. What you believe about Jesus, however, has already predetermined your experience of your own Christianity right here and now while you're here on the earth. There is a difference between believing in Jesus and believing rightly about Him. Do you know that all human relationships are based upon what you believe about a person? Right now, if you come up to the stage, pat me on the shoulder, you can be guaranteed I'm a real person. You can believe that. Hello, I'm a bald-headed Asian guy yelling at you. I am definitely real. But what you believe about me has already predetermined right now whether you've switched off, scrolling Facebook, or daydreaming, or leaning into what I have to say. So what you believe about God has already predetermined your experience of Him. It's already predetermined how you pray. Come on. It's already predetermined the way that you relate relate to Him. And so today, I want to ask you, what do you believe about Him? Read the book of Mark chapter 5. We see a man by the name of Jairus. The Bible tells us he's a leader of the synagogue. He's a high-ranking Jewish official. He's a big deal, Jairus. The Bible also tells us that he's by his daughter's bedside and she is ill to the point of death. How many of you are parents here in the room? 
Some of you that are parents aren't owning up. Come on, how many of you are parents in the room? If you have children, people that call you mom and dad, you are a parent, okay? <laughs> it's okay to admit that. Some of you are going, I don't want to fess up on the fact that I've got kids. <clears throat> now, I'm a dad myself. It would take a lot. In fact, I, don't, I can't imagine what it would take for me to leave my sons, either of my sons, dying bedside. If they were ill to the point of death, I would not be leaving their bedside. But the Bible says Jairus picks himself up from his daughter's bedside. She's ill to the point of death and he goes and finds Jesus. So what he does tells us that he believed in Jesus, but what he says tells us what he believed about him. Because it says, Jesus, 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 if you were to come back to my house, lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed. Oh man, if only I can be part of a church with the faith of Jairus that believe rightly about Jesus. On the other side of society's spectrum, there is a woman. She is nameless. She's faceless. We don't know her name. But the Bible tells us that she's been suffering for 12 years from a menstrual bleed. In first century Palestine at the time, someone with that kind of condition would have been considered unclean. So you can imagine what this woman would be like if you try and immerse yourself in the story. If she'd been considered unclean, she would have been unable to find work. The Bible tells us that she spent all her money on doctors that would have prescribed all kinds of weird and wonderful primitive potions and ointments that did not work. And in fact, she grew even more demoralized. She was not healed. The Bible tells us because of her condition, <clears throat> you, you, contextually you can assume that she'd not left her house for 12 years. Now, I know you all in Victoria were locked down for three years and complain about it, but this was like a self-isolation for 12 years. Her skin wouldn't have seen the light of day for over a decade. Until this one day when she hears coming down the street, Yeshua, 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 the crowd is thronging Jesus. The Jewish woman on the inside of her would have wanted or asked the question, could this be the Messiah that could finally come and save me, bring me healing and liberate me from this, from, from this condition, from the problem of my human condition? And yet the self-conscious, unclean woman on the inside of her would have grappled with all that. She would have asked questions like, I, I want to go out and meet Jesus, but I don't, it's been 12 years. I don't even know what to wear to manage the bleed. I haven't been out of the house. It would have been over a decade where she's even known how to put on a bit of makeup and, and brush her hair to go out in public. For me, it's been, been about 18 years, but that's a different story altogether. But she fought against her own self-consciousness and came out of the house after 12 years to go find Jesus. So what she does tells us that she believed in Jesus, but what she says next told us what she believed about Him because she said, if only I could just reach under the hem of His garment, on the edge of His cloak, I will be healed. I'm wondering today in Bright Church whether there's some people that are willing to believe rightly about Jesus. Again, come on somebody. The world doesn't need more churches that believe in Jesus but believe wrongly about Him. The world needs more churches that don't just believe in Jesus but believe that the Jesus in the Bible is still real and living on the inside of us today. And so when we, when we think about what we believe about Him, it, it already has predetermined the framework of how you experience Him. Today, what you believe about Him will determine whether you are walking in this abundant Zoe life that He's given you or you're walking in this, I'm just suffering for Jesus until I die. Come on, somebody. I know which is a better testimony to the world that is so lost and hopeless. And so in Mark chapter 5, I want to go through some learnings with you today, if, that, if that's okay. And the first learning out of Mark chapter 5 is simply this, that what you believe about Him will determine the conclusion you jump to. 
especially when you're in a crisis. How many of you when, you, when you hear of bad news or something that's going on, you have a tendency to catastrophize things? Just three people, the rest of you guys, liars. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you hear a bit of bad news and like, and like your mind goes into a million different directions. Like, you hear that, that your company is restructuring. No one loves that word. And that could be potential, you know, mass redundancies. And like, your mind goes into a million different directions and you start to catastrophize things. Right? I want to suggest to you today that when you're in a crisis, how the story ends for you in your head is determined by what you believe about Him. In the book of Mark chapter 4, Jesus says to His disciples, boys, we're going to get into the boat. Right? And He says to them, we're going to sail over to the other side. He's, even, he's told them what they're going to be doing. He's even telling them how the whole journey is going to end. While they're in the boat, the Bible says that a storm starts to brew. Water starts to get into the boat and Jesus is sleeping in the boat while the storm is brewing. Have you ever been in a storm and it feels like Jesus is sleeping? It's like you're in trouble and Jesus, he brought his own pillow to the whole thing and he's asleep at the back of the boat, Right? Have you ever felt that way about Jesus? It's like, Jesus, my whole world is crumbling right now and you are asleep. The disciples woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. So what they did showed us what they be- that they believed in him, that Jesus was the Savior. But what they said next exposed what they believed about him because they said, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? See how they rewrote a conclusion that Jesus never wrote for them. Are you writing conclusions to your crisis right now that Jesus never wrote for you? Are you writing endings to your trial and your trouble right now that Jesus never wrote for you? Come on, somebody. What you believe about Jesus will determine the conclusions you jump to, especially when you're in a storm. In a crisis, we can catastrophize things. We allow our minds. What keeps you up at night? That's been predetermined by whether you believe what you believe about Him. Come on now, somebody. Now, I'm, I've been a senior pastor almost 20 years, and it's not that I do this much, but us pastors, whenever we sit down with someone, and, and maybe it's a bit of a counseling session, they need to see us, right? We're not just, we're not, we're rarely ever dealing with the thing that is happening to a person. We're almost always dealing with what they think will happen to them because of what is happening to them. It's not the relationship breakup that you're dealing with with this poor young lady is what she thinks will happen to her because of what is happening to her. It's not the job termination or the redundancy letter that is sending you out of your mind is what you think is going to happen to you because of what is happening to you. The conclusions you jump to has already been predetermined by what you believe about Jesus. Come on, somebody. Jairus had a predetermined conclusion to how this story was going to end when he said, Jesus, if you just come with me to my house, you're going to lay hands on my daughter. She will be healed and she will live. Come on, somebody. I want the faith of Jairus. The woman with the issue of blood. She'd jump to her own conclusion after coming out of the house, managing the bleed, being awkward about what to wear, not knowing how to brush her hair. She says, if only I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Come on, we need somebody that can believe rightly about Jesus again because what you believe about him will determine the conclusions you jump to. In Mark chapter 4, when they woke Jesus up, you can imagine Jesus is face palming. How many of you know Jesus face palms at his church a lot? Right In the middle of a storm, Jesus already said, we're going to cross over to the other side, boys. 
they almost ignored that conclusion because of the storm. They wake Jesus up. You can imagine Jesus wiping the sleep out of his eye. Oh, boys, peace be still to the storm. And then he turns to the disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? In other words, in life, storms are inevitable, but fear is optional. What you believe about how the story ends has already been predetermined by what you believe about him. Do you know that fear and faith have exactly the same definition? Don't be going, well, this guy's preaching heresy. <laughs> Hear me out. Fear and faith have exactly the same definition. Fear is defined as this. I, I, I believe that what hasn't happened yet is going to happen. Fear says, I believe that what hasn't happened yet is going to happen. And how you define that particular thing that hasn't happened yet is predetermined by what you believe about him. Come on, somebody say amen. And so what you believe about him will determine the conclusions you jump to, especially when you're in a crisis or in a storm. Oh man, I, I, just, I wish I preached this to myself 20 years ago. Imagine all the sleepless nights you would save yourself by just coming back to believing that the Jesus in the Bible is the Jesus that is living on the inside of you. Come on, church. Second learning, what you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the miracle you need. How many of you have ever heard of triage? Triage is a principle that is applied in just about every emergency department in the world. Triage is the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds, injuries, illnesses to decide the priority of treatment, right? I'm sure it's the same here in Melbourne. If in Perth, I got to our emergency department with a broken collarbone, here's a couple of aspirin, Panadol, and 40,000 forms to fill. Sit in the corner, wait for four hours, right? <laughs> Brain injury, straight in, don't even fill in a form. We're not even asking you your name, right? That's triage. Make sense to you? Yeah. Mark chapter five. Here is Jairus. He leaves his dying daughter's bedside to go find Jesus. He says, Jesus, my daughter is ill to the point of death. But if you were to come home, lay hands on her, she will be healed and she will live. All the disciples hear it and go, man, this is really serious. Jesus, we need to stop talking to the crowd. Let's go, right? Jesus agrees. Let's go. If they were in modern day 21st century Australia, they'd put a siren on the roof. Let's go, right? Everybody just make way. While they're walking back to Jairus' house, Jesus is so extra, he stops. He goes, hold up, boys. I feel powerly from me. What even is, what are you doing? What even is that? No, no, hold up, boys. I feel powerly from me. Somebody touch me. The disciples are going, Jesus, everyone is touching you. There's a massive crowd. No, 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 hold up. Something special is going on here. You can imagine Jairus. What a, steam would it coming, be coming out of his ears. Come on, would it not? It's like, something going, what's the big deal? Like, everybody needs, there is a difference between terminal and chronic. And if there was anyone that you could understand that had the excuse to pull rank, it would have been a high-ranking Jewish official versus an unclean woman. And yet the Bible does not record Jairus saying a single thing. He stands there quietly and just waits. Why? Because I believe that the same belief that Jairus had 
about Jesus when he left his daughter's bedside to go say, Jesus, 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 come back to my house, lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed and she will live. It's the same belief he still held on to in the delay. Come on, somebody. When somebody else seems to be getting the miracle that he needs, if you're here today and it feels like God has more time, more miracle, more breakthrough, more answered prayer for everybody else but you, while you're waiting for your own breakthrough, I want to suggest to you today, Jesus is still on the throne. He's still on your case. Come on, somebody. You need not be insecure because Jesus knows what He's doing. But what you believe about Jesus will predetermine how you respond when it feels like everybody else is getting the breakthrough that you need. Come on. Maybe some of you are saying, God, I really need this job. And it's been five months since you, 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 you've, been, you've been shooting out every resume you know to every company you know. And you're getting rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter, right? And this week at small group, next minute, Johnny over there on the other side, he's saying, I've just been promoted three times yeah. this month. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Everyone's reading his testimony out. Going, oh. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you really believe in God for a life partner. You feel ready to take the next step. You feel ready to find love, start a family and you feel like time is, is, you feel ready, you know, time's gone on and, and you're saying, you really believe in God, I really believe for a breakthrough this year, maybe I'll meet someone, I'll find love. Shini Kwikwi from the other church rocks up, she's 19 years old, short skirt, net minute, she's engaged to one of the bright church boys, you're going, oh. <laughs> it happens. Every church has a Shini Kwikwi that walks in, come on, let's be honest. You already have an image of her right now in your head. But what you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the blessing that you need, gets the miracle that you need, gets the breakthrough that you need. You know, Jairus stayed silent through that whole time because he had a genuine belief that did not change or waver in the delay. My youngest boy is now 17 years old. And, uh, and uh, like I said before, he, he's grown up with disabilities and I remember when we first dedicated Isaiah to the Lord, and he was maybe six months old, and we, had, we were none the wiser at the time what was wrong with him, per se. And I remember when, we, when you dedicate, I don't know if you have baby dedications here at church? You know, as a parent, when you dedicate babies, I had my spiritual father come, and we dedicated, he dedicated him. And I remember standing there with Isaiah in my arms, and Chrissy and I, we had dreams for Isaiah. I had pictured, imagined, fantasized, aspired that one day I might... I don't know, I might see Isaiah have his first speech at a school assembly. I might see Isaiah come home with a ribbon because he's been champion boy of his year. Maybe I see Isaiah, you know, take up judo or karate or whatever. You know, he'd play footy and maybe one day he'd be in the nativity scene at church and maybe one day he'd ducks the school in this particular subject. One day he'd top the class in this, uh, do that. It's been 17 years and Isaiah hasn't met a single one of those milestones or aspirations. And there have been seasons where I've actually despised the fact that I've had to celebrate other kids. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years and I've seen other kids. I've commented on Facebook, oh, well done, Connor, on getting the blue ribbon for that champion thing and the thing that you did. And fantastic, Riley, oh, well done, Jackson, and celebrated other people's sons. And I've saying, God, what about my own boy? And there have been seasons where the enemy has tempted me 
to believe or change my belief about Jesus, but I refuse. And I'm wondering today whether I've got a church community today that is willing to believe rightly about Jesus with me. I have never had a conversation with my son, but I tell you what, I believe that I will talk to my boy. If not in this life, it'll be in the next. Because I've got a Savior that says all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Come on, somebody. So if you're here today and maybe you feel like the season in your life as you look at everybody else and they seem to be getting the breakthrough that you need. And I, I trust me, nothing tests what we believe about Him like the fire of comparison. When you look at your life, go, I should be like that. I should be more further ahead. I should be getting more breakthrough. Right. I should be over this right now compared to that person. I want to suggest to you today that Jesus has the final say. Even though it feels like it's tarrying and Jairus would have stood there going, Jesus, he said nothing because he knows that Jesus has the final say. Come on, somebody. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, there's an account of a lady by the name of Hannah. I don't know if you know a lady by the name of Hannah. I love the story of Hannah because Hannah in the Bible tells us of a woman who had been believing for a very long time to conceive a child. She really believed that God had called her to conceive of destiny and she knew that the baby that she would conceive of one day would, would become someone significant. And yet month after month, you can imagine her coming out of the bathroom and, and saying to her husband, Elkanah, I'm sorry, honey, we're not pregnant again. And next month, I'm sorry, we're not pregnant again. And month after month, year after year, she would go up to the temple. She'd cry out to the Lord. She'd be on her knees saying, God, is this the year? Could this be the year that we would finally conceive a, a child? To make matters worse, Alkanah, Hannah's husband, marries a second wife called Panina, and she was a piece of work. <laughs> Unlike Hannah, she was pumping out babies like a rabbit. Like every year, oh my gosh, here's Panina's child again. I reckon Panina's own pastor was sick of dedicating her babies. Like, oh my gosh, another baby from Panina. And to make matters worse, Panina would mock Hannah for her infertility every year and she would still cry out to God. It was in that season. Panina was getting the very miracle that she wanted and needed. But I tell you what, even in the waiting, we need to remember that we are looking for instant, but God is looking for persistent. And she persistently goes back to God doesn't waver in her belief about him until finally the day comes when she conceives and she bears on the earth a baby by the name of Samuel who would become one of the Old Testament great prophets who would anoint Israel's greatest king. Come on, somebody. If you're here today, you need to understand that Jesus has the final say. And I'm, I'm here all the way from Western Australia to remind you that if you feel that you're stuck, hold on to the belief that He who started a good work and you will be faithful to finish it. Come on. That He is the author and finisher of your faith. That He is the God that makes all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And right now, though it looks like you're losing out and while everyone else is winning, hold on to what the Word says about Him. Don't you dare reduce Him to a version of what your circumstance tells you he should be, but elevate your faith, come on, and not change your belief about Him because Jesus has the final say. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Is this helpful to you guys? Let's keep reading Mark chapter 5, verse 30, 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 40, after he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, 
they were completely astonished. Third, final learning is this. What you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. Have you ever been told by someone that the thing that you're going through right now, there's no hope? No one ever comes back from that kind of addiction. Sorry to tell you that. Your marriage is irreparable. Sorry to tell you that. That condition, uh, you can't be healed from that. you just got to manage it with medication. How many of you ever had someone tell you there's no hope? Here is Jesus. Jairus has already been delayed in getting Jesus to his house. While Jesus is finishing his conversation with this woman with a 12-year bleed, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be freed from your suffering. As his, as his words are finishing, there's these voices from Jairus' house. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Bother the rabbi no more. I think sometimes people take delight in spreading bad news. I think bad news spreads quicker than good news, don't you think? Our world has a morbid fascination in spreading bad news. I think sometimes even in the church, we like to spread bad news quicker than we like to spread good news. If we love spreading good news, the whole world will be saved by now. Hello? But if there's a bit of a church scandal, oh my gosh, everyone's talking about it. We, love, we just love to spread bad news more than we love to spread good news. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Bother the rabbi no more. Jairus has a third opportunity to get what he believes about Jesus challenged. <laughs> I wonder if you're here today and you're in a season where you feel like you've conceded that the thing that you believe in God for is now a hopeless cause. Jesus doesn't dignify the haters with a response. He turns to Jairus and says, don't you be afraid, only believe. In other words, Jairus, in life, storms are inevitable, fear is optional. The reason why he said that to Jairus is because he wanted to remind Jairus, Jairus, you remember what you believed about me when you first came to me and said, come, please come into my house, lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed and she will live. And the same belief you held when I got interrupted by the woman with the 12-year bleed, now as people are yelling, Jairus, your daughter is dead, hold on to the same belief about me because I have the final say. And I want to suggest to you today, if everybody says that your situation is dead, they don't have the final say. Whatever the world says is dead, Jesus calls sleeping. Come on, somebody. Jesus gets to the house. He gets all the haters out, all the whalers. Get out. He calls Peter, James, and John, and the mother and father, and, and, and Jairus. And he says to this girl that was apparently dead, reported dead, says, Talitha Kum, daughter, stand to your feet. Come on, somebody. I want to suggest this to you today. If you're not dead, God's not done. And even if you think you're dead, God has the final say. Come on. Even death cannot hold him down. And I don't know about you, but it's time for the church to reawaken again that the Jesus in the Bible is the same Jesus that lives on the inside of us. And yet we walk around 24-7 at times when things are hard, like our Jesus is a lesser version of what's in the Bible. Can I awaken in you again today to believe rightly about Jesus? Yes, I know many of you believe in Him, but it's time to reawaken again a right belief about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is still on the throne somebody shout amen come on why don't you stand on your feet right across this room if that helped you today come on you just begin to say thank you jesus thank you jesus hey thanks for listening to the bright weekly podcast we hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services so to connect further with us head over to brightchurch.com